Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello again, Cove Church. So great to be with you today as we continue our series that is all about worship. And today we talk about why we worship. What would the reason behind that be? Uh, Allow me to start with a story. I used to work out at a gym with a a guy who was a really interesting fellow. He'd been all over the world. He was kind of independently wealthy in some way. It gave him a lot of freedom to travel the world and and go to lots of different places, places that normal tourists wouldn't go, places that, that were very uncommon. And he had lots of amazing stories about that. But he once told me that his favorite place in the entire planet of all his travels was actually in the U.S. And he said it was the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon Basin. He would go uh, fairly regularly on these two-week-long rafting trips through the Colorado River in that place. And he said to him that that was the most amazing place on the planet. He described it as God's fantasy land. Now, if you can picture what that would be like, in, in that course of time, they go through no less than 10, than 10 class 5 rapids. Um, they would raft in the morning. They would explore in the afternoons. They didn't bring a tent. They would just sleep out under the stars. And he said that because the, the side streams would go through all these minerals of the rocks, these mineral cliffs, It would produce colors in the streams that were like, it was like it wasn't real, like neon colors, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kinds of colors. He said it was as though in that place that God decided to take off all the governors, that God decided to break all the rules and just go crazy. He said it was by far his favorite place on the planet. After he told me that, by the end of those stories, you know what it meant for me? It meant I wanted to go. (laughs) I had never had a desire to do that before, but I do now, and maybe one day I will get to. But his description for me became an invitation. And that is a picture of what worship is supposed to be. This is what we get to do together, yes, at at church, but also in our homes and with our very lives. We get to go someplace amazing. We've at times, I think, equated the idea of worship to a chore, a, a discipline. Oh, I need to do more of that. But in truth, it's an opportunity. Worship allows God to reveal to us truths and expressions and experiences that we've never seen before, never experienced before. Worship allows us to go on a spiritual rafting trip, including roaring rapids and multicolored streams. Worship is an invitation to come and see for ourselves, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And worship is the act of actually choosing to go on that adventure with God. God's word is the map revealing who God is. And worship is the road trip that takes us there. And if you decide to take that trip to to worship with your life, to discover God in new and personal and amazing ways, 
I want you to know there's a lot of folks, including myself, that would love to go on that trip with you. Because whatever I've experienced in my life with Jesus up to this point, and, and those experiences have been wondrous, but I also know that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is more. God is inviting each of us to more, to this relationship where we see God more clearly, more completely, and God's presence becomes more tangible and real in our lives than ever before. This is why we worship, because the promise is that when we seek God, we find God. And although I understand, and maybe you understand, that theologically God is everywhere, Worship allows me to see God here today with me. So, to help us grow in our understanding of why we worship, there are some things I point out from a passage in the book of Ephesians that are foundational to walking out this why of worship. And the first thing I would point to is this. We worship in response to God's plan. We worship in response to God's Plan. Ephesians 1, verse 11. Let's read it big voices right where you are. Go. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is an amazing passage about the plan of God, identifying that we and you are not an afterthought. God has a purpose and a plan for me and for you. That, that before all that is, God saw you. Chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before light separated from dark, before heaven separated from earth, before land separated from sea, God saw you and was consumed with one thought how to make sure you will find wholeness and life in him, that you will experience the fullness of his love. See, we are recipients of an astounding love. It says he chose us in him, meaning God's perfect picture of us was in place millennia before we were born. And that perfect picture can only come about in Jesus. But that picture was painted. It was painted far in advance. That's always how God wanted it to be. And you say, how, how is that possible? It's, it's not so strange when you think of it this way. This is what parents do, right? Before their child is born, they, they prepare the nursery for that baby who's coming and, and into that nursery, they put all their dreams and plans, you know, for, for the Oregon duck people. There's Oregon duck stuff in the baby's nursery, you know. The baby's never seen a game, but they will. Oh, yeah. You know, for some nurseries, it's the cowboy boots. They're ready for their first ride, although they've never even walked before. In other nurseries, it's ballet shoes. They haven't even, you know, stood up, but they're, the nutcracker awaits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, contractors have baby tool belts, you know, baby's first saber saw, things like that. Accountants, Fisher-Price 10-key calculators, get them warmed up on those. Call center parents, baby aspirin, you know, just get them ready. <laughs> Even grandparents, you know, I have 
had hanging on my garage wall for a long time, months before my grandson Bo was born, I have a tiny Spider-Man fishing pole. It's in a special place in my garage. It hangs on the wall. It is ready for him, and it has been for a long time. Oh, I have plans for him. We'll see how it works out, but I have plans. We do this because before they become, we believe. Before they find their drive, we have a dream. And certainly our dreams can be misguided. Our beliefs can be limited in our understanding. We, we don't see the whole picture. But at the core, this is what love does. Before you're born, all we, all we can imagine, all we want to see is the best you possible. And after you're born, we desire nothing but to see that best come about in your life. Where does that desire come from? It comes from God. It's built into us from God. In him, we were chosen according to God's plan. That's God's purpose. That God wasn't stuck with us. God wanted us. From the beginning, before anything else, God saw you. God thought of you. God knit you together. God made you for a purpose. God loved you before you did anything to possibly earn that love or made any decision to reject that love. God loved you and loves you still. God's love was and is always there. It's like, again, with my grandson. Uh, to me, he is so amazing. But other than being extraordinarily cute, he doesn't do a lot of stuff, you know, <laughs> kind of sleeps, kind of eats, you know, does other stuff that babies do. Uh, but doesn't, he doesn't take out the garbage, you know. He, he's not contributing a whole lot to society other than, than cuteness. He's not solving world hunger. I'm sure he will at some point, but not yet. He's not doing a lot of that. But right now he just is. And that's all he needs to be for me to love him. I loved him the minute I, I saw his ultrasound. I loved him the minute I heard the news. He didn't work for that love. No, instead, love is the baseline. I love him simply because he is, because he exists. And, and, and so if, if in my messed up state as a broken human, if in that messed up state I can still love like that, how much more the God who is love, who tells us even before the womb, I knew you, I loved you. Yet we start to live a while on this earth and maybe we make some decisions along the ways and we see our own motives, the stuff that comes out of broken hearts. And we start to think, I've got to earn that love and whatever reason God originally had to love me, I've thrown that reason away. So now I've got to earn it back. And God says, my love will never leave or forsake you. But in our wrong thinking, we end up leaving and forsaking God. But if we could receive that love that stands at the door of our lives and knocks, how could we not worship? When we finally grasp the depth of that love, 
We don't need instructions then on how to worship if we get that. No, worship is, is this overflow of this love that is so great that I'm experiencing that I cannot help but love in return. It's like the same way that, that we jump in the air and throw our hands up when our team wins. Nobody had to teach us that. <laughs> you know, no one's like, hey, your, your team just won. You know, you might, I might interest you in a loud shout, maybe a stand up, jumping up with like three to five fist bumps in the air. Could I interest you in that? No, we don't have to be taught that. We just do it. It's an unfiltered response to a great victory. And in worship, we celebrate the greatest victory of all that God's plan was always to love me. And that truth leads me to a love and to a worship in response. We worship in response to God's plan. It's the first thing. Here's the second. We worship in response to God's promise. Let's continue the passage, Ephesians 1, verse 12. Let's read it together. Big voices go. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, I get it. The language here is a little bit challenging. But essentially it's saying God's purpose was that just as the life of Christ was directed at mine, given for my good, my life would in turn be directed at Christ, given to Christ. That in doing so, I would not just declare praise, but I would become praise. My life would become praise. As it says, in order that we might be for the praise of his glory, that my life is praise to God. Worship is our response to being rescued by God, a rescue made possible in Jesus. That is the gospel of our salvation. Worship comes out of my life when I recognize God's hand in my life. That each of us have been ransomed with the highest price, given an amazing gift, a promised hope. And this passage reminds us of that hope. Uh, the other day, uh, Paul and I went to a St. Vincent de Paul grand opening, uh, you know, because we, we love things like that. Never been a grand opening of a St. Vincent de Paul, but since we're thrifters, we, we experienced this as the first one of this ever, and it was so great, and they had lots of people there, and, and it, was, it was a party, and it was terrific, and they were doing raffle stuff. And just as I got in, they handed each of us a raffle ticket, and they said, in just a little bit, we're going to be raffling off $10 gift cards to St. Vincent de Paul. And so I'm, I'm there with my raffle ticket in my hand. I'm way in the back of the store. It's a big store. I'm way in the back of the store and I hear him call out the number and they call out my number. It was the most amazing thing. I couldn't believe it. I never win anything. This is so incredible, but I'm clear at the back of the store. And so I've got to like move through the crowds. Like I'm like, got my taking my hand. I'm like, hey, they call my number. I got to, got to get through. And I'm, I'm so excited. I'm like, I can't believe I win. I'm walking the whole way. This is amazing. You know, and I can hear them up there like, well, we got to wait for them. You know, we'll have to say another number if they don't get here. You know, I'm like, no, no, I'm here. I've got it. Don't, don't move on. It's me. I'm the winner. And I'm, I'm doing this the whole way up. Finally, I do make it and they give me my gift card. And I was so excited. It just, it was the best, just the best day ever. But the whole way, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to say, hey, I, I, I've, I've won. I'm moving. I, 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 I've, I've got a promise in my hand. 
And there's a promise on the other side if I can just get there. I did not yet hold that gift card in my hand, but the promise was enough to make me walk differently. Just the promise knowing that the other side of this, uh, I'll get something amazing. We worship God because we believe in the validity of God's promise to us. That I may not be experiencing all of God's eternal promises today, but one day I will. And if I can celebrate that $10 gift card at St. Vincent de Paul requiring me to walk from the back of the store to the front, what am I willing to change about my life in response to a promise from God that is far more valuable, far more lasting, far more trustworthy, that the hope I place in Christ, this promise is my hope of salvation. And that hope compels me to praise, to move, to exclaim, to walk and live differently because I hold a promise in my hand and in my heart. That's why worship has to have in it this, this element of acclamation. It's not just that we sing praise. We are praise. That because we've been given so many promises by the one who never, ever breaks a promise, we have something to celebrate. We are celebrators. We are worshipers. We understand that we have been delivered. We are being delivered and we will be delivered. Our praise is then propelled through an understanding of God's promises. Every day, for those who know Christ, we have something to cheer about. We have something to freak out about. Isn't this amazing? Every day we wake up, we have won the Super Bowl. We're going to Disneyland and Elon Musk is driving us there in a Tesla every day. That God has made eternity possible, redemption possible. God provided a way out and a way up. So how can I not worship how can I not be excited? How can I not dance and shout and sing? Psalm 95 is such a great prescription for that response. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Worship is the appropriate, the only appropriate response to God's gift of salvation. And so it includes in it this decision to, to sing, to shout, to bow down, to kneel before God. It's this whole person expression, all of who I am. It has nothing to do with my personality, nothing to do with my ability, nothing to do with my upbringing, and everything to do with my choice to let my whole self ex express what my spirit wants to say. And to do so, yes, even in music and song. I love the fact that from before the foundations of the earth, words alone were not 
enough to describe who God is. So God created music, a language so powerful that it crosses every culture, every border. A language that can express facets of the wonder of God beyond words alone. You know exactly what I mean if, if that piece of music has carried you away. You know, for some it was that classical piece, for others it was that, that funky song, rock song, heavy metal song, country song, maybe even polka. I'm not judging. It could happen. But there are times, and you know what I mean, when music says so much more than words, it moves us. It's a paintbrush to let us see more of who God is, the colors we couldn't see before. In music and in song, God has given us an entire language through which to ascribe him glory. Yet we can kind of look at that and go, yeah, but I'm not really a singer. <laughs> uh, music's not really my thing. And we miss the point. Worship has nothing to do with who I am and everything to do with who God is. Exuberance and song is a reflection of God's goodness and, and, and must therefore be included in my worship. Jesus told us that he can make worshipers out of rocks on the ground. But why should he have to? <laughs> if he has us. He doesn't have to have the rocks. I don't want a rock to have a more authentic response to God's promises than I do. So I get to respond. We worship in response to God's promise. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. We worship in response to God's presence. Worship in response to God's presence. Ephesians 1:13, let's read it. Big voices go. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's saying that in this life, even though our world is broken and so much of it is not as it should be, God has given us a deposit, a glimpse guaranteeing our future hope in him. And that deposit is God's Holy Spirit. That when I forget what God looks like, and when I forget what God sounds like, and I forget what God acts like, the Holy Spirit brings me back to that truth. It's like I remember a few years ago, I was going through some old things and I found a CD of my father's music. And so the only CD player I had was in my car. I put it into the car and I, it started playing at this one section where he spoke before he played. And he was talking, telling a story. And I remember at the time just thinking how good it was to hear his voice. I was reminded of all that he was, of how he thought, how he related, how he connected to people. See, this is what God's Holy Spirit does when we worship. We're reminded of what God sounds like. 
We're reminded of how God relates to us, how God connects to us, how good God is, how deep his love is for us. The Holy Spirit will always reveal who God is because the Holy Spirit is God. As Jesus said in Matthew 18, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. How is that possible? It's possible through the Holy Spirit. God is here. God is present when we come together in his name. That's why it means so much when we gather together and proclaim who God is, because God shows up. That's the promise. That's why so many of us have experienced tears amidst worship and joy amidst worship and a sense of being swept up into something greater amidst our worship. You know what that is? That's God's presence. Is it, now, is it always like that? No. And that's not because God changes. That's because we do. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not getting it, right? Sometimes I come in, I'm in a bad mood or, I, or I'm worried or I'm off my game or I'm distracted. And I can easily miss what God is doing, although God is doing so many things. We can even find ourselves maybe leaving a, a time at church or a time of gathering and saying, ah, worship really didn't do much for me today. <laughs> and we get to remember <laughs> that the only one in that equation that changes <laughs> is us. That God is always worthy of my praise. Feelings aside, emotions aside. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But sadly, me and my emotions can be much more unpredictable. <laughs> I, I mentioned uh, not too long ago, a few months ago, uh, about uh, us accidentally purchasing this, this super awful toilet paper, like half-ply toilet paper, like the worst toilet paper you could ever imagine. You could read through it. It was, it was so thin. It was a horrible experience. You had to warn people, like, oh, look out for the toilet paper in there. And so someone in the church heard me tell that story, and, and just as a joke and, and actually as an act of compassion, they got us some really nice toilet paper, like a whole case of really nice toilet paper, quilted stuff, the good stuff, the high-end stuff. Wow, I was like, this is terrific. But we didn't want to just throw away all the half-ply stuff because that seemed kind of wasteful. And so we just kind of put all of it on the shelf together, you know, where, where the toilet paper lives. And so, so it's all mixed together, the half-ply stuff and the, the really good stuff. It's all now mixed together. And so now when you go to grab a roll of toilet paper out of there, you, you end up playing like, like toilet paper Russian roulette. You never really know what you're going to get, especially if it's an emergency moment. Well, I, I got to get it right now. You know, I need it right now. And you don't know what's going to happen, what you're going to grab, and what your experience is going to be after that. But you need it when you need it, and it happens. And so you end up with this experience that you're not sure. It may be a good experience. It may be a bad experience. You just, you never know. Guess what? If our worship experience with God feels like that, it has nothing to do with God and everything to do with us. Because God's not changing. I can get swept up in my feelings. I can get paralyzed by my own insecurities. Again, all of that's my weakness. But true worship allows my weakness to become strength because it moves me from how I feel to who God is. Our action is a response to the presence of the one who is worthy of all 
honor. When we gather in Christ's name, Jesus enters the room and we respond together in worship. And the amazing thing is that even amidst my weakness, I can still experience the presence of God as I worship. That God's that good. <laughs> that as I choose to worship God with song and music or standing or clapping or kneeling, but also worshiping God with my life and surrendering and trusting and honoring, as I seek God like that, I find God. We worship in response to God's presence. I'll wrap up with this. Not too long ago, my wife Paula, she was um, watering a plant that she had gotten a year before. It was an indoor plant. And she had taken the time to water it regularly, uh, every, you know, as, just among the other plants. But she was just doing a really good job watering it regularly. And she was feeling super good about her care of this plant because the plant was looking strong. Its colors were rich and green. It was thriving. She's like, man, this plant is just doing great. It's just doing awesome. After a whole year, it's looking so good. And then, so she was watering recently and she accidentally knocked it over. And the dirt dumped out and it revealed the root structure of this plant and she came to a surprising revelation. The plant was a fake. It was a fake plant. It wasn't a real plant. It was plastic. <laughs> and she'd been watering it for a year. <laughs> pouring out her life. Pouring out her hope on something that could never return the favor. I think it's safe, safe to say that we often do the same thing regarding our worship. We pour out our lives on so many things that can never give life back to us. Things that don't deserve our hearts, things that can never do anything to transform our hearts. Worship is an invitation to offer praise to the one who deserves it, to the one who is worthy, and to the one who loves us with a love that will never, ever fail. We worship because of God's plan and because of God's promise and ultimately because of God's presence. Holy Spirit is here. Holy Spirit is with you in this moment, offering a complete love. The question is, will we offer ours in return? Not just to sing songs of worship, but in those songs to offer a life of worship to our King. Let's do that. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.